All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And what we're going to look at this morning is what we just sang about. About having joy in being a servant and having a servant's heart. We're going to look at the necessity of a servant's heart, of a servant's spirit this morning. Philippians chapter 2. And uh, let's all stand together, if you would. If your neighbor does not have a Bible, allow them to look on with yours. If you're not part of the family, though, you need to do that at a six-foot distance, okay? But <laughs> uh, listen, you got you got to laugh at some of this stuff, all right? Otherwise, it's just going to get to you. It really is. All right, Philippians chapter two, verses one through four. You read along silently as I read aloud. It says, "If there be therefore any consolation in Christ." If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we pray. As we take a look at your word this morning, that, uh, Father, you would help us to concentrate on what thus saith the Lord. We pray that you would speak to hearts this morning. I pray, Father, that you would uh, give me the power and the understanding and the strength and the words to say. Uh, Lord, I, pr I pray that there be nothing in my heart, nothing in my, my mind that would in any way detract from the message of the word of God this morning. Lord, we just ask you to take control. We ask you to have your will in your way in this service and in our lives as you speak to us this morning. Father, may we, may we say yes to you and respond for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. The book of uh, Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written in jail. It's one of what we call the, the prison epistles. And the, the church at Philippi was a good church. It was, a, it was a, a, a serving church, but it wasn't a trouble-free church. By the way, there is no church that is a trouble-free church, amen? Uh, there is no such thing. And uh, uh, they, they, had some, they had some people problems. If you, if you look at chapter three and verse two, he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. There were some false teachers, there were some evil workers. There were some uh, of the concision. Uh, the, the, uh, the concision just simply was that they put emphasis on ritual. Over in chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, uh, I beseech Iodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Obviously, he's praying that because they were not in the same mind in the Lord and they were doing a little headbanging. And uh, uh, so, you know, they had, they had some people problems in the church at Philippi. There is only one way to handle people problems, and it's, it's for a church to have, and individuals within that church, to have a servant's spirit and to have a servant's heart. Uh, whenever I think of Philippians chapter 2, there's one word that comes to my mind, and then the entire chapter in one way or another points to serving God and uh, how important and how necessary it is for us to have a servant's spirit. Now, the, the first four verses tell us just why having a servant spirit is, is important. Look in verse 1. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, 
if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now, that's the result that you want to have, and that's what comes when a church and when individuals have a, a servant spirit. The result is consolation in Christ. You get comfort from God. A comfort of love. That's love that you receive from other people. Then the, the fellowship of the Spirit. And again, that's, that's having fellowship and having time day by day walking with God. And then last of all is bowels and mercies. And that's just simply talking about compassion. And that is in reference to our fellowship that we have one with another. Now in verses two through four, he tells us how, how that kind of an atmosphere is, is obtained and then maintained. In other words, how we keep it. If you look in ver verse two, it says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Uh, first, first point that he goes over is he's saying, listen, you need to be unified. And unified does not mean that you agree on every point together. But you know what I found, and the Bible talks about this over and over and over again. The Bible says, charity covereth a multitude of sins. When we love one another, then we can be unified in spite of some differences. As long as you have the, the, the same general heart, the same general mind, you want to serve the Lord together. Uh, and that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the same love. He's talking about being of one accord, of one mind. And he says, fulfill ye my joy. He said, listen, if you're like this, I'm joyful. Why is that? Because in any family, uh, I, I don't care whether you've got two kids or whether you've got 15 kids, uh, you, you, the one thing that you want as a parent is you want your kids to get along. I love it when my kids get along. I hate it when they're fighting. And you know, how much more does God hate it when he sees his own children having problems with each other? And, and you know, that's why Jesus said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one toward another. Uh, we need to have that love for each other and, and be unified. The second thing is in, down in verse 3, he says the way that we keep that, keep that servant's heart is uh, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's a, that's a meek heart. That's a heart that has esteem for others over esteem for themselves. It, it's a lowly mind. It's a mind that, that uh, looks to, to be a blessing more than to receive a blessing. And it's a mind that, that when you see someone else who's stumbling, you see someone else is having a problem, you don't go over and kick them. You don't snub your nose at them. If you love them, you'll be patient with them. One thing I think that we, we, we need so much of in Christianity today, and I would say in this church, just period, we all need more patience. And not just, not just patience with, with the COVID and all this other junk. We need to be patient one toward another. You know, and, and you, know, you know why we get impatient? You know why we get that way? Because we forget how patient God has been with us. Can you look back at the times you've struggled? Can you look back at the times you've stumbled? 
Can you look back at the times when you really were not serving God the way that you should have been? Man, I can. There's plenty of those times. And two things that come to my, my remembrance is, number one, is the fact that God was patient with me and worked with me and helped me get back on my feet and stand in the right spot. Second thing is people that were patient with me. People that were paid. I, I served for almost 15 years with Pastor Harley Keck. He just recently, uh, last, I think it was just last weekend, 4th of July weekend, he just stepped down from the pastorate. And the missionary that we support uh, to Brazil is now no longer a missionary to Brazil. He is now the pastor of First Bible Baptist Church of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And uh, uh, when I served under, under Brother Keck, uh, one of the things that I, I so appreciated was that he had a lot of patience with me. He had to have a lot of patience with me. I, 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 uh, I learned a lot under him, and I learned a lot under him by, by stumbling and by, by uh, you know, snubbing my nose time after time after time. But I'm so thankful for the patience he showed. We need to show patience with one another, and that we will do that if we have a meek spirit, if we esteem others better than ourselves. And then down in verse 4, it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And that's just talking about having an, an unselfish spirit, putting others first, looking out for other people's interests, not just looking at your own interests. And, and those three things cause us to, to obtain and maintain a servant's heart is to be unified, love others, to be meek, esteem others better than ourselves, and then to be unselfish and put others first. Uh, the, the whole idea of chapter 2 is others. It has to do with ser, ser, a servant's heart and a servant's heart toward one another. Uh, spiritual unity is dependent upon having a servant's heart. I believe servant's heart is one of the most important qualities that you and I need to have in, in the Christian life. Um, if, you look at, if you look at the book of Philippians, the first, the first chapter emphasizes Christ first. In other words, Christ ought to be preeminent in our lives. We, we need to put Jesus Christ first. But then you come to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, the emphasis is that others are to be first. In other words, you put Christ first, then right underneath that, you put others first. Well, that makes sense because when Jesus Christ took all the commandments and basically rolled them up into two commandments, he said the first commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and all thy strength. Second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, when he tells us to have a servant's heart, he gives us a pattern. And he gives us someone to follow. Look with me down in verses 5 through 11. It says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven 
and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The pattern that we have for having a servant's spirit and a servant's heart is Jesus Christ himself. Go back with me to verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. We're to say, have the same mind, the same attitudes that Jesus Christ had when he came to this earth. Now understand who he was. He was, is, and always will be God. And he left heaven, came down here, took on human form. The Bible says in him was all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was, he was all God, he was all man. But he was, he was God in human form. God in human form. And, and, and his whole purpose when he came down here was really twofold. Number one, to serve his father. And number two, to serve others. Now think about that for a minute. The one who created you, the one who allows you to take your next breath, came down here and served people. Serve sinners. Now again, he was pure, he was clean, he was righteous. He's God, okay? He can't sin, he can't lie, he can't do, do anything wrong. He is God, and yet he put up with people. And, and you know, it, probably one of the biggest frustrations that he had when he was on this earth wasn't his physical limitations, it was what he had to put up with particularly those 12 guys that he hung around with, you know? And uh, I, I just, I, I believe that with all of my heart. Uh, th those, those things were frustrating. He oftentimes, he oftentimes abraded them for their unbelief. And he would tell them things and tell them things and tell them things. And then they would act like he never even spoke those things to them later on. That, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that, that that could be very, very frustrating. We say, well, it's frustrating for us. Try to be God and have that thing happen. I mean, he came down here. Don't try to be God, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, implying that you should. But my, my point is this, is that if he could be patient with us, if the perfect can be patient with the imperfect, how much more should the imperfect be with other imperfects? We should be. And that was the mind that he had. Look down in verse 6. It says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And again, Christ is the only one in the Godhead who ever took on a human physical body. He is, he is God. He was equal with the Father. He made that claim over and over again. When, when he was on this earth, and that's one of the reasons why they crucified him. They said he was blasphemous. No, he wasn't blasphemous. He was declaring what was true. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You go down to verses 7 and 8, it says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a, of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, in these two verses, you've got seven steps that uh, it says that God took from glory to come down here 
to be, to be the, the, the sacrifice and the offering for our sin. First of all, it says he made himself of no reputation. Do you understand the importance of that? God, who is of all reputation and who ought to be honored and praised, made himself of no reputation. He came down to this earth and was, was born of a virgin, of a virgin woman, uh, no earthly father. And of course, to all of the people, they looked at that and they, they just figured that, that uh, she was born out of, for, or he was born out of fornication, that Mary had the child illegitimately. Uh, he, so he had a questionable birth. He, he associated with questionable people. Uh, one of the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees got all hair-lipped about was that he, that he spent time around, around publicans and sinners. You know why he did that? Because that's what he came for. <laughs> he came for folks like you and like me. He came for sinners. And, and uh, he, he made himself of no reputation. He wasn't concerned about his reputation. He was concerned about the reputation of his Father in heaven. Secondly, he took upon him the form of a servant. He came not to be served, but he came to serve. Who did he come to serve? Well, for first and foremost, he came to serve the Father. But secondly, he also came to serve others, and he showed that by dying on the cross and being the propitiation for our sins. Then, then uh, thirdly, third step down, he, he, made, he was made in the likeness of men. He traded all of his glory for flesh. You realize that before, before he came to this earth, he, he never felt tired, he never felt hungry, he never felt weary, he never felt pain. But for 33 and a half years, he felt all of those things. And he did that because it was necessary for him to come down here and become the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He was made in the likeness of men. Fourthly, he was found in fashion as a man. Uh, he went through the things that, that uh, human beings go through. And, and when you go to, in fact, take your Bibles, keep your finger here, but go to Hebrews chapter 4 for just a moment. And this is the amazing thing about my God. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we, seeing then that we have a, a great high priest, speaking of Jesus Christ, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our, our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He went through all the temptations, the types of temptations that you and I go through, yet he went through those without sin, but he says that he, he understands the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, when you go to God, when you gotta go to God and, and uh, you, you bring a prayer request, you bring something that's hurting, hurting you, he understands. He's been there. He's, what a God we serve. What a God we serve. And uh, he was made in the likeness of men. He was found in fashion as a man. Number five, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. How did he humble himself? Well, first of all, he, just, he humbled himself by just being human, by being flesh. Okay? And, and then, of course, the supreme humiliation was 
was hanging on that cross and hanging on that cross for something he did not do. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And yet what he did was he died for the sins of the whole world. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reason why that is is because he paid the price. To me, one of the most, one of the most uh, I don't know if you call it awesome, amazing, uh, mind-boggling uh, verses over in Corinthians where it says, He became sin for us. He actually took on the embodiment. Now, he never did sin, but he took on the embodiment of that sin. He bore our sins, the scripture said, in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by his stripes we're healed. Now, that healing is not talking about, not talking about physical healing. It's talking about spiritual healing. It's talking about the fact that we have our sins forgiven when we come to Christ. The sixth step that he made is he says he became obedient. He became obedient. His whole life's purpose uh, was to, to come and to die for the sins of the entire world. Uh, when, he was, when he was in Gethsemane, one of the things that he prayed in that, in that prayer was, uh, uh, Lord, if it be possible, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, that's an obedient spirit. An obedient spirit says, it's not what I want that's important, but God, it's what you want that's important. And that's what a servant, a servant's heart is. And then the last step that he made was he became obedient unto death. He was obedient his whole life, but he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and, and took, took, that, took that, that step to Calvary and went there and died for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Uh, it, you know, one of the things that teaches us is if you're going to have a servant spirit, somewhere along the line it's going to cost you. might cost you many times, but it's going to cost you. Are you willing to pay the price to have a servant spirit? Jesus was willing to do it for you. He was willing to do it for me. We ought to be willing to do it for him. You know what, uh, if you're going to serve God, you're going to pay a price for serving God. And if you have a, a servant's heart, you're more than willing to pay that price. Uh, if you, you look with me, verses, verses 9, 10, and 11 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven, and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> In verse 9, it says wherefore, and the word wherefore means <clears throat> look backwards. He refers back to verses 6 through 8. And he said, because he went through all of that, God highly exalted him. Humbling and a servant's heart always comes before any exaltation. First uh, Peter chapter five and verse six tells us this. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. 
You say, well, when, when, if we have a servant's heart, when will be exalted? In God's time. Might not be down here. Are you willing for it to never be down here and only be up there? I'll tell you what. Down here, there's a limited amount of time, but up there, it's all eternity. All eternity. And, but, but God promises that, that he, will, he will exalt those that have a servant's heart. Uh, in verse 10, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. There's going to come a day when every person that ever walked the face of this earth is going to bow down and say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's going to come a time when... The devil who has, has deceived Adam and Eve, or deceived Eve, and then, then uh, Adam willingly took of, of, of the fruit, uh, was willing in the transgression. Uh, he, th that same per person who, 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 is tr who has tricked and deceived humanity for all these ages, I, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing Satan get down on his knees and say, Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. And I believe right after that, he's going to be pitched in the lake of fire and he's going to be gone forever. And praise the Lord for that. But, but the point is, all of us, no matter who you are, saved or lost, there's going to come a day when you are going to put your knee down and say, Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Why don't you do it now and get saved? You know, if you're not saved, let me encourage you. Uh, get that thing taken care of now. Now, we're, you know, I, in eternity, I'm going to get down on my knees. Those of you that are saved, you've got to get down on your knees and say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, you know what? We're going to look forward to doing that. And we're going to do that time and time and time again because he's worthy of our worship. If you look down in verse 11, it says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ had a servant spirit and God exalted him so that the Father could be glorified. The whole purpose and the whole reason for having a servant spirit is not so you and I can be glorified. Not even so our church can be glorified. But so that God can be glorified. And that people can see that we have a God who's worth serving. If you look with me down in verses 12 through 18, we find that, that it tells us about the goal that we ought to have uh, if we have a, a servant spirit. In verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may, uh, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I, have, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Now in verse 12, he gives us, he gives us the process. He says, the process of, of being a, a, and having a servant's heart and being a servant. 
is to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice what it did not say. He did not say work for your own salvation. You don't work for your salvation. Salvation is a gift. You get salvation by trusting Jesus Christ and him alone as your savior. You realize you're a sinner. You realize you're on your way to hell because of your sin. You're going to burn for all eternity. And you realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross, died for, for your sins. And, and the only way you can possibly go to heaven is by putting all your faith and all your trust in not anything that you have done, but what he did. Bible calls it a gift. You know what? When you get something that really is truly a gift, you have to do nothing to receive it. But the person who gives it has to pay the full price. Not part of the price, not half of the price, not 80% of the price, the whole price. You know, whenever I, I give birthday gifts, I don't give birthday gifts and then ask for 20% back uh, return, you know. When, it, when you give, when you give uh, a Christmas, I hope you don't do that anyway. Uh, anything's possible these days, though, I suppose. Uh, when, you, when you give a, a Christmas gift, you don't, you don't give Christmas gift to, the, to your kids and then, then tell them that they got to go on out and shovel the walk or whatever. Uh, no, it's a gift. The person that gives the gift pays the whole price. The person that receives the gift pays nothing, zero. And, 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 and Jesus Christ said the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the way we, we, we get that, that gift is by realizing we're a sinner on our way to hell. We repent of our sin. We believe on Jesus Christ, trust him and him alone as our personal savior. And he gives us eternal, eternal life. Um, but it says work out your, old, your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, when you get saved, God works in your salvation. Once you're saved, then God says, now I want you to work it out. What does that mean? He's put something inside you. Now take it and use it and be a blessing, first of all, to God and secondly to others. Have a servant's heart. Have a servant's spirit. Uh, notice, too, what it says in, in, in that verse, in verse 12. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, uh, not as in my presence only, but, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I, I think that, that implies several things. Number one, first and foremost, is fear of God. Uh, you don't want to, you know, one of the reasons why we, we should have a servant spirit is because we don't want to displease the one who gave everything for us. I mean, he was a servant to us. Our creator served us by coming to this earth and dying on the cross and paying for all our sins. He did not have to do any of that. He was not under obligation to do a lick of that. And yet he did it because he cares for us, because he loves us. That's the, that's the for God so loved the world. That's where that so love comes in. And uh, uh, so once a person trusts Christ as Savior, we want to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. First of all, because we, we just don't want to displease the Lord. Secondly, there's an awful lot at stake. You know, if we don't have a servant's heart, I, I'm convinced of this. I, without a doubt in my mind, there's a there's 
people that, that already have, and some that will someday, die and go to hell just because Christians did not have a servant's heart. There's a lot at stake with our testimony. There's a lot at stake with our service for God. If we don't pass out tracts, if we don't witness, if we don't care for folks, if we don't love folks, we ought to have some fear and trembling about what the results might be if we don't uh, serve the Lord uh, and, and have a, a servant's heart. Uh, you, you look with me down in verse 13, and it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of, of his good pleasure. This tells us how the work gets done, how the, how the process uh, goes, goes through its, its, its process, uh, is by having the power of God in their lives. It says, it says in, in that verse, it says uh, uh, in verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do. Okay? So he says, he says God works in us. In other words, he works in us and then he works through us. One of the things that God's more concerned about doing, he's first of all concerned about working in you before he works through you. He's more concerned about the work he does in your heart than he is the work that you're going to do for him later on. Because he knows if he can do a work in your heart, now you will serve him. In other words, God, it's, it's important not just for what you do, but who you are. And you need to be a servant in your heart first. If you're not, can I tell you what's going to happen? If you're not, and you, you don't really have a servant's heart, but you perform the works of a servant, if you don't see the desired results, you'll quit. If you don't see the fruits that you expect to see, you'll throw up your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers Preachers, and it breaks my heart when I hear this. But preachers say, we don't door knock anymore because door knocking doesn't work. Who cares whether it works? Didn't, didn't the Lord say, go ye into all the world and preach, preach the gospel to every creature? Yes, all right, so any and every method that you can use to try to get the gospel out, should it not be done? Yes, and what... what you say, yeah, but, but it doesn't work. That's not the point. The point is, we need to have a servant's heart and do what God says, whether it works or not. It's not whether or not it works that makes the difference. It's whether or not we're willing to be obedient to God and do, do what God tells us to do. That's the kind of heart that we need to have. God's interested in doing a work in us. And the way he does that work is with three things. Three tools the Lord uses to really do something inside of us. Number one, he uses the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God does a number on, on your heart. And secondly, prayer. It's important to spend time in prayer and in communication with God. And that th those two things are really, really what makes communication with God uh, 
become a reality. We let God talk to him through, uh, talk to us through his word, and then we talk to him through prayer. But there's a third tool that God uses on the inside, and that's the tool of suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, it says this. It says, after that ye have suffered a while, this is what God does, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. How do, where do all those things take place? Perfect, uh, establish, strengthen, settle you. You know where they take place? Inside. Now, they manifest themselves outwardly, but it starts inwardly. And God uses suffering. That's why it's so important for us as saved people to respond properly when pain and suffering comes into our lives. Now, what, what's the purpose of having a servant's heart? Look down in verses 14 through, through verse 16. Verse 14 says, Do all things without murmuring and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The, the, the purpose is uh, that, number one, that, that uh, people can see the difference between us and the world. Notice in verse 15, he says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom he shines lights in the world. Does that describe our world today? Does that describe our nation today? A crooked and a perverse nation. And God says that he wants us to be a contrast to what the rest of the world is like. If we aren't a contrast, we'll be a confusion. If we're not a contrast, we'll be a confusion. And that's why when, when God was addressing the Laodicean church over in Revelation chapter 3, he says, you're neither hot nor cold. He says, I, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. Why was it that, and he says, because of that, he says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Now, why did he say that? Because being lukewarm, being somewhere in the middle, not hot, not cold. Now, you don't want to be cold, but you, you ought to be, as a, as, a, as a Christian, you ought to be hot and on fire for God. But if you're somewhere in between, all that does is cause confusion. People need to see that there's a difference being saved. They need to see the peace that passes all understanding. They need to see the love and the care and the heart of a servant. And that's what having a servant's heart does for us. It, it, it causes us to be a contrast. And, if, and as, I said, as I said, if we're not a contrast, we're a confusion. And there's four things that he says in, the, in that, that verse that we ought to be. We ought to be blameless. We ought to be harmless. We ought to be the sons of God. Without rebuke. Blameless just simply means to have a good testimony. Blameless just simply means to be squeaky clean and, and to have a, a seamless testimony for God. Harmless. You shouldn't be threatening. The truth is threatening, but you shouldn't be. Jesus said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Then the, the sons of God. In other words, Behave like what you're supposed to be. You're a child of God. Act like a child of God. 
Otherwise, they can't see the difference. And then without rebuke. Now, they, they might come and they might get on you about something, but make sure that their claims have no valid thing to fall back on. Uh, make sure that, it's a, that it's, a, it's a false claim because you've lived the way that God would have you to live. And uh, if you look down in verses, the last part of verse 16, actually 16, 17, and 18, it says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I am not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. He talks about two, two kinds of joy there. First of all, he talks about a future joy. He's saying that someday I'm going to rejoice being in the presence of God if I have a servant spirit. You go back to the Gospels, and one of the, one of the phrases that often pops into my head whenever I think about having a servant's heart is uh, Jesus someday looking at you and I and saying, Well done, thou good and faithful, what? Servant. Servant. Not child, not, not son of God, not member of the family, but well done, thou good and faithful servant. Of all of the callings that we have as Christians, that's the number one calling, is to be a servant, servant of God, and then a servant to others. And we'll rejoice in the day of Christ if we've been a servant. Then the second is, is a present joy, and that comes from the, the sacrifice and the service that we've, we've done for others. Joy comes from giving, not from getting. Joy comes from serving, not from being served. God tells us that he, he desires that we be servants. If you're here this morning and you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, let me encourage you, today needs to be the day of your salvation. If I were you, I would not live another day. I would not live another 24 hours without getting that thing settled. You never know when eternity is going to be at your doorstep. You don't know. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There is no mercy on the other side of eternity. There is no mercy after death. No mercy at all. The, the, you'll have mercy if you're saved. But if you're lost, there is no mercy. When the, when the rich man died and he lifted up his eyes in hell, he, says, he said uh, uh, to Father Abraham, he says, Father Abraham said, Lazarus, they may dip his, his finger in water and cool my tongue. He says, have mercy on me. The answer was no. Why? Because there's no mercy in hell. If you want mercy, you get it now. And you get it by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me encourage you, if you're here this morning, realize that you're a sinner on your way to hell. And the only way that you can go to heaven is by trusting Jesus Christ and him alone as your Savior. Then if you're saved, there's, there's, there's nothing better than being a servant. And, you know, um, I've, I've watched this. I've seen this in churches. I've, I've watched people pray for revival. And I've watched people pray for unity. I was in a church where I served for three and a half years where folks were at each other on a continual basis. And yet those same people that were constantly knocking heads with the brethren 
got down on their knees on, on Sunday or on Wednesday night prayer meeting and said, Oh God, give us unity in this church. There'll be no unity without a servant's heart. If you have a servant's heart, God will give unity. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we pray your blessings upon the things that we've heard this morning. And Lord, my desire is that the word of God and the spirit of God would do a work in hearts. Lord, uh, there may be someone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. I pray that before this day is through, that they might trust you and you alone. We're going to give an invitation here in just a moment. And when we do, Lord, I, I pray that uh, anyone that might be here without Christ might come forward and uh, see me in the front and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. We'll have somebody take the word of God and show them how they, they can receive eternal life before they leave this place. It has nothing to do with Freedom Baptist Church. It has everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would work on hearts. We pray for those that, uh, Lord, uh, need to respond to the things that we've heard this morning. Uh, it's easy with this COVID and all this stuff going on. It is so easy to get tied up with ourselves. And we need to quit being tied up with ourselves and being concerned about ourselves and be concerned about others and have a servant's heart. God, please speak the hearts. Please do the work as only you can do. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand.